Hey everyone, welcome to Go Bold. We are a podcast that spans the world to learn about the men and women who serve their countries, and we pride ourselves on showcasing senior leaders of allied militaries, and today's episode continues that trend. Joining me today is Royal Air Force Group Captain Andrew Burton, who is the Deputy Commandant of the UK's Air and Space Warfare Centre, which is located at RAF Waddington. The Air and Space Warfare Centre is the organization responsible for planning and hosting Exercise Cobra Warrior, a large-scale exercise that happens twice a year, that being in the spring and in the autumn, with each serial running for approximately three weeks. Our chat occurred late last year after the Cobra Warrior Autumn Serial, which had participation from the UK, the United States, Germany, and Italy, and it was the first time the Royal Air Force used the innovative Spear software. We are bringing it to you now because we are on the heels of the 2023 Autumn Serial of the exercise, which includes a first-time participant with the Royal Canadian Air Force sending seven CF-18 fighters and one CC-150 Polaris air refueling tanker. In fact, the aircraft are in the UK now, and were supported in their transit across the Atlantic by a Royal Air Force Voyager multi-role tanker transport aircraft, otherwise known as the A330 MRTT. That is the same aircraft that Canada has selected for its Strategic Tanker Transport Capability Project, so the exercise has already delivered great training value even though it has not officially started. Exercise Cobra Warrior is a large force, multinational, and multi-domain tactics development exercise. Common serials include offensive counter-air, defensive counter-air, joint personnel recovery, and support of land forces. You'll hear all about the exercise from Group Captain Burton, who said that the ultimate goal is to evolve it into the red flag of Europe. But before we begin, here is a message about our sponsor, Cubic Defense. The episode you'll hear speaks about the training that warfighters do to be the best they can be. Cubic supports military training by providing warfighters the cutting-edge tools that are necessary for operational success. Cubic leads the way with highly precise tracking systems for aircraft and test ranges. This technology has been adopted by militaries around the world and includes capabilities like air combat maneuvering instrumentation, which this year celebrates 50 years in support to allied air forces. So important is this technology that it is embedded as an internal subsystem to the Joint Strike Fighter. Cubic has also developed SPEAR, a revolutionary learning platform for multi-domain operations and training. SPEAR is a Department of Defense-approved technology stack that reduces cognitive burden through optimized displays and analytics of kinetic and non-kinetic data with weapons effects in multi-domain operations and LVC environments. SPEAR melds objective and subjective data with a time-synchronized, real-time mission log and after-action reporting. This means the SPEAR software allows warfighters at the unit level or enterprise training and operations level to visualize operations throughout the mission cycle, which enables them to understand multi-domain operations like never before. At all levels of combat preparation and execution, Cubic Defense delivers real results. To learn more about them, please visit cubic.com. Now, on to our chat.
Hey everybody, welcome to Go Bold. My name is Jody Atariwala and I'm your host. And today I am joined by Royal Air Force Group Captain Andy Burton, who is the Deputy Commandant of the Air and Space Warfare Center at RAF Waddington. Group Captain Burton, thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to have you on the show. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you, sir. So as I do with all of my guests, I start by asking, what was your motivation to join the military? And what made you pick the branch that you did? So I was probably motivated by, uh, I guess, a spirit of adventure, um, a desire to travel, which is something I'd always wanted to do. And, and that was probably what drove me towards the Air Force. But, but I didn't go direct there. So um, I did university first in London. And then I worked in the oil industry in the Middle East for a couple of years doing oil exploration. And then it was only after that that so I, I, I was captured by the Air Force and I've been in for, for the best part of 30 years since then. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, well, it's, uh, it's a dynamic force for sure. So I'm excited for this conversation because you are the Deputy Commandant of the Air and Space Warfare Center. So I would like to ask, what is the remit of the Air and Space Warfare Center? What is the raison d'etre, so to speak? Sounds very grand, Deputy Commandant, doesn't it? But um, <laughs> what we do as an organization is, is four things, and we call them the four T's. So it's think, test, tactics, and train. And the ultimate aim is to gain operational advantage, to provide winning solutions for people. So in the thinking space, we... Uh, we codify how we do uh, warfighting now in doctrine. And we think about future warfighting in terms of concepts, about how we might fight in future. In terms of testing, we're testing the technologies that we're using, and that could be new aircraft, new helicopters, new sensors, new weapons. And the idea there is, uh, one, we want to make sure it's safe to use, but we want to make sure it's fit for purpose so that when we use it on the day it's required, it works as advertised. And then what we do is we bring in intelligence, so we like to study how potential adversaries might work. And if we know stuff about ourselves through tests and the enemy through um, intelligence, that allows us to develop tactics. It allows us to see where we might have an advantage and where we might be able to exploit it and where we might have a vulnerability and we need to protect it. And so that drives the tactical thought. And then you get round to, well, we need to tell everybody about this. So we train people to it. So we run a, a school that does sort of postgraduate education for air warfighters. And then we run large-scale exercises. So we teach the, the tactics in those exercises as well. Right. Awesome. Well, that is a perfect segue to talk about the focus of this particular episode, which is Exercise Cobra Warrior. Um, I believe it was hosted by the Warfare Center. Uh, so what is the focus or the goal of the exercise? Um, the exercise runs on a, a routine basis, so we, we do two a year, um, typically three weeks each. We do one in the spring, um, which we focus around um, a wide variety of international participants. And then we do one in the autumn, which is the one that's, uh, that we've just undertaken. And we run that one because what we do is we, we qualify weapons instructors, QIs in our terms, qualified weapons instructors, who are the um, equivalent in the U to the U.S. Fighter Weapons School or to the patch wearers that, that some of your listeners may, may have heard of. And the idea in the autumn exercise is to be able to provide those individuals with the training that they need to graduate from that course. 
So it's high-end warfighting. It's a bit of defence engagement in terms of working with partners, learning how to fight uh, together. Uh, and it's chasing particular objectives that those that training audience needs uh, to be able to develop. Right. Okay. And obviously, you know, the geopolitical environment, there's the war in Ukraine. Um, did that have any impact on planning the exercise or the way it was executed? So, um, yes, I think it provided an interesting background to it all, didn't it? Because um, when events happen, it brings everything a little bit more into focus for um, everybody, both in, in all of our countries, but particularly for people in defence, because you can start to see things look more real and see some things that are happening sharpens the mind. So it brings a, a greater degree of focus to things um, and it does also affect the different assets that are available because at, at the time then NATO is obviously supporting a lot more activity to protect NATO borders and that can lead to a shortage of some assets. So it's always difficult with things like headwear refueling to make sure we've got enough headwear refueling support and the like. So it affects it and I say I think the main thing is it sharpens the mind. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm certain that, that it focused everyone's attention. Um, so when it comes to the actual exercise itself, how were Royal Air Force units and pilots selected for Cobra Warrior? And where did the exercise take place? Okay, so, so there's, there's probably two things to that. So, so a lot of the um, participation is focused around, as I said, the, the Qualified Weapons Instructor, the QY course. So they are our main training audience in terms of providing them with the in-depth mission sets that they need to take on in order to, to pass the course effectively. So that sort of drives the core part of the training audience. And then for this event, um, what we had was uh, US Air Force, who are based in Europe. We've got real key allies in terms of uh, German Air Force and Italian Air Force who both run similar QY courses to us in terms of high-end instructors. So they were involved as well in terms of the exercise. And that really all leads us around to um, delivering the exercise around our RF Wellington, but with people spaced around the country. Because we can't all fit on one base. So we, times we had 75 aircraft flying. So we had people based up in the north of England, people based elsewhere in Lincolnshire away from RF Wellington. And then when we go off and fly the exercise, uh, we've got a big bit of airspace that we can use that's um, up in the English-Scottish borders, so about 150 miles north of, of RAF Waddington, where we can go. We've got marshalling areas over the sea, uh, a big operating area over the sea, and then we, we can fight into, um, as I say, the, the borderlands of England and Scotland and have some other land training there. So that's the exercise area itself. Right. Interesting. And so are any of those areas instrumented in any way to help facilitate the exercise or the training objectives? Yes. So being able to instrument um, is really important because a lot of the learning in these exercises is done not when you're flying because it's too busy and, and, and people, um, it all becomes a blur and you're dealing with events. Um, but when you come back down, being able to recreate what happens so you can understand uh, positions you're in and why you made certain decisions is really key. So what we don't do is instrument on the ground anymore. That That's uh, where we used to, but we do instrument the aircraft and that provides GPS positioning back so that we can recreate the fight as it happens. 
and that's a really key part of debriefing. Right. And so, you know, I'm familiar with ACMI technology. Is that what you're referring to when it, when you speak about the aircraft being instrumented? Or was there anything else that helps in that, you know, time, space, position information, data collection? So um, we used to do ACMI, and I've used ACMIs quite a lot in the past. And they were really, really key when aircraft didn't know quite where they were. But in the modern day with GPS, each aircraft knows exactly where it is at all times. So we don't need the ground infrastructure anymore to be able to feed into. We can just run a network where the different pods on the aircraft all feed into the system. And that allows us to bring really accurate positioning data down and use it for the debriefing. Okay, interesting. Um, you mentioned that there were a number of participants, uh, you know, not just the Royal Air Force, but international participants as well. Um, obviously, the focus was for the weapons instructors, qualifying them uh, in the Royal Air Force. But did the exercise serve to help qualify other nations' experts, like certify their own crews? Yeah, so, 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 so absolutely. We'll try and provide as much training for for everybody as we possibly can. And there's a there's a waterfall cascade here. So I'm saying we're focused on um, qualifying UK QY students. Actually, the, the other nations often bring their QY students so they can be qualified on the exercise. And then down at a squadron level, there'll be different leadership qualifications um, within each of the uh, different squadrons with the Italians, the Germans, and the, the US as well. And they'll all be coming um, becoming qualified. And then even on the ground, um, in the airspace control centres, there'll be people there who've been checked out and qualified because they will never have controlled a large-scale exercise before. So they'll be getting a tick in the box to allow them to gain the experience and do it in future. And then you go all the way down to the maintainers on the ground, and they'll be seeing a different tempo and a different way of operating. And so there's even qualifications that it's been doing all the way down there. So these training exercises are great because you get multiple levels of training that, that come out of it. And it's not just all about qualifications either. A lot of it is experience in terms of operating in that large-scale environment. Often when we train, you, you might be four aircraft, be two. So if you can get 50 or 60 aircraft up in one piece of sky with all of the different constraints that gives, it's a massive experience for everybody. Yeah, oh, for sure. Air forces in general are kind of shrinking, so the opportunity to have large numbers of aircraft, uh, I think, is is invaluable. Um, so, how was the exercise conducted? Like, what were some of the methodologies in the objectives that you had, and what kind of threats, like real or simulated, were employed? Because obviously, you have to present a tactically relevant picture. Yes. Yeah, so, so uh, and, and, and this is part of the skill of setting an exercise and, and why there's so much more that goes underneath an exercise that, than people see. So we work um, for a number of months beforehand to devise scenarios. So the training objectives would include, let's say, offensive counter-air missions where you're perhaps going into an attack a target, defensive counter-air missions where you're looking to protect a target, we often do joint personnel recovery, so we'll simulate that um, there's a key individual, whether it be a, a downed air crew or whether it be a high-value individual that we're looking to recover, so we need to get a force in there to be able to do it. Or we'll practice support of a land force, 
And so all of those different training objectives um, will, will come into play in terms of, of how we do it. And in terms of second part of the questioning, so in terms of threats, um, we obviously want to be able to simulate a, an air threat because that's realistic and what we'd face. And so we will look at what potential adversaries we'll have and we'll seek to generate um, aircraft. And some of those will be from commercial companies. Um, so we'll, we'll use electronic warfare aircraft from, from a, a contract we run with a commercial company in the UK. And we'll generate F-16s and typhoons from within the exercise participants to simulate red air. And we'll try and, as best we can, to get those guys working to um, enemy uh, tactics and an enemy weapon set so they replicate the threat as best we can. And then on the ground, um, up in the borderlands around England and Scotland, we've got an electronic warfare training range. So we've got threats in there which um, uh, we can bring out and distribute around um, that part of the world. And they'll provide the ground threats that people will work against. And that means that um, not only do people have to consider the threat all the way through the planning, but they get presented with a realistic threat when they're out there conducting the exercise as well. Right. Okay. And did this particular exercise utilize any weapons or were any weapons tested as part of the exercise? So um, we don't typically do weapons testing on, on this type of exercise. And part of that is mixing training with live weapons obviously has a, a dynamic in itself that, that can go wrong. So, so what we're really testing in this is tactics. So we'll simulate the weapons and we'll simulate um, and we'll, we'll make the scenario as real as possible. And then what we're testing is the tactics. If I approach it in this manner, will it work? Did I win? Did I lose? What can I do better next time? So it's a tactics development exercise rather than a a weapons testing exercise. Right, right. Okay. Yep. No, that makes sense. Um, so the Royal Air Force operates both fourth and fifth generation aircraft. Um, so how would you plan and execute training for both fourth and fifth gen aircraft together? Um, because obviously it's not just the Royal Air Force that's participating, but it's other nations as well. So I'm just kind of interested in that fourth and fifth gen kind of integration piece. So um, we did have uh, fifth gen aircraft in, and we, we've probably been doing fifth gen exercises for best part of eighteen months or so um, at, at considerable scale as well on, on some of them. Uh, and it, it doesn't really change too much. Um, we looked at our airspace previously, make sure the airspace uh, was was set up for it. We sort of understand there's more security around fifth gen, and, and so we're able to, to to deal with that as well. Uh, and then we um, set the problem set and we hand it over to the participants and the participants are really good at dealing with it and knowing how to use the strengths of different aircraft in different ways. Right. Okay. Interesting. You know, I think we can both agree that future fights are not going to be in a singular domain. Um, so how do you plan to evolve Exercise Cobra Warrior? Um, obviously, you know, the focus is there to air, but in modern warfare, there are so many different domains that are involved. You know, even if you think about cyber or, um, you know, the space domain, it all kind of feeds in, even if the focus is just the air domain. Um, so, yeah, really the question is, how does Exercise Cobra Warrior plan to evolve, uh, taking into account all these different domains that, that are part of modern warfare? So, so it's a really good question, and, it, and it, it's not easy. The first thing I'd say is, 
we already advertise it as a, as a multi-domain exercise. So, so assets vary between uh, different cover warrior serials we do, but we, we regularly have Type Boy 5 involved in exercise, which is our air defense destroyer. We regularly have land assets on the ground that we're supporting. And, and certainly as part of this cover warrior, um, we integrate cyber and space effects um, as a routine part of the way we do business. So multi-domain in terms of airspace and cyber is, is fundamental to how we do things. And, and that was all incorporated in the planning. So within the qualification of weapons instructors, we have qualified space instructors. So we were qualifying space instructors as part of the course so that they can understand how they feed in to that multi-domain environment. Um, in terms of how we go forward, that's a tricky one, which is um, we want to progress really quickly. We, we want to get very uh, quickly up the scale of what we call operational training infrastructure so that we have a, a better command and control facility where we can control the exercise from better threats on the ground, greater ability to integrate across different domains. Um, but we know some of those capabilities cost money and will take a little bit of time to come and develop. But that's certainly the area that we're going into to try and make it increasingly multi-domain and increasingly realistic. Okay, um, very interesting. Um, yeah, obviously it, it is very complex. Um, so, you know, in terms of trying to get truth in training, um, I'm keen to appreciate the quality of the data that you were able to track and make sure that you were able to provide that kind of truth in training. Um, you know, we talked about ACMI, we've talked about some of the other uh, more modern ways of, of tracking aircraft and assets. Um, so what is the Warfare Center doing in that regard? Are you using like live data uh, or post-mission data or a combination of the two? Um, you know, I, I guess I'm trying to get at the question of, um, you know, what steps are you taking to improve the truth data tracking? Yeah, and, and, and this is a, a big piece of work for us at the moment. So um, truth data itself is, is fairly easy to come by. The, the difficult part is bringing it all together so you can see it live during the mission. So as the exercise director, you can intervene with injects to aid the training or stop a developing safety situation. Um, and in terms of post-mission debrief, you need that to run quickly, you need it to run efficiently, you need it to be highly automated as well. So we've been trying different types of software. We're just in the process of upgrading our exercise control facility. Uh, and we're hoping within the next year that will all come together and we'll be very much in the place that we want to be in terms of everything works smoothly first time. Because it, it, it is true to say that there's always going to be teething troubles as we so we go through the capability upgrades to get us to that ability to see what each aircraft is doing and, and actually give the best value training to each and every uh, individual who's involved in the exercise. Oh, yeah. I, I think that is so important. So every every person involved gets an appreciation for the kill chain. Uh, you know, what, whatever their intervention is, whether it be kinetic or otherwise, you know, how does that affect the overall mission and objectives? Um it's my understanding that the Warfare Center used the Spear software suite for the first time during Cobra Warrior, and I believe it's the first time for the Royal Air Force ever. So what were some of the capabilities that Spear brought to you that you don't have with other systems? And 
What were some of the things that you learned as one of the first locations to use it with multiple outstations in the exercise? You know, you mentioned that the exercise was conducted from different locations. So I'm keen to know how Spear helped with all of that. Um, so, so, so obviously Spear is a proprietary software and run by a company, but um, it was brilliant, to be honest. It worked really, really well. We were really impressed with it. It allowed us to, within our own exercise control facility, bring all the feeds in, integrate them, and um, was really in, interactive in the way the instructors could work with the software to get a really clear picture and how the automated suit drew the learning points and the key areas through to the debrief. And we're definitely only halfway there with it because we're still learning about the, uh, the software itself, but, but there's a long way that we can go with that to, to making it a far more immersive experience for the crews and, and everybody involved in the exercise as well. So we were impressed with the software. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And, you know, kind of building on that, um, what were some of the key lessons learned through Exercise Cobra Warrior, the second iteration for 2022? So um, many of the lessons are all lessons. And the obvious one is, it's trainers you want to fight. And, and, that, and that it's just brilliant that we can bring together different nationalities You've got different languages and uh, different operating procedures, and we can bring them together. And in the first mission, everyone's staring at each other and thinking, how's this going to work? I'm not quite sure how the Germans will do this, the Italians will do this, and how the Americans will do this. And then by midway through the exercise, they're all working together in a fantastic manner and really start to develop the tactics and improve things. So the learning... Um, and the biggest learning point is always interoperability about how we all operate together, making sure we can do simple things, like understand how we each plan, what our capabilities are, what the interoperability is, what data we can pass between different platform types, who's good at doing what, and who's not so good, who's got a strength that we can exploit and who's got a weakness we need to protect. And all of those come out through the exercise. So it, it, it's actually the process just, being involved in the exercise that brings the greatest lessons. Awesome. Um, so I know our time is getting short. I have a couple of last questions and then we'll wrap it up. So Exercise Cobra Warrior comes on the heels of the Royal Australian Air Force's Exercise Pitch Black. And I just uh, had the opportunity to speak with one of your colleagues about that deployment and that exercise. And many people are aware of the red flag exercises, which simulate high-end large force employment. So I'm keen to know, how do you characterize Exercise Cobra Warrior and where does it fit among the large multinational exercises? So, so it's, a, it, it's a difficult, there's never an easy classification system, is there? So it'd be easy to say, um, oh, it's in the middle. In terms of uh, defense engagement exercise in the spring, um, it probably runs alongside what I imagine a pitch back is. And I have done pitch back in the past, but, but it's been a long, a long time. Our ambition, where we want to get to, is to provide effectively the red flag of Europe so that um, European Air Forces can come to the UK and have a modern operational training infrastructure, um, a, a modern professional um, exercise control staff, airspace that's um, up there with the best in the world, so that we can practice the most demanding missions in a European um, airspace and allow us to not always have to go to the US to be able to do everything that we want to do. Going to the US and going to Australia is 
is absolutely superb and they are fantastic exercises and we just want to create the best exercise we possibly can to train for those high-end missions in Europe. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, there's training value in, in deploying abroad and exercising the capability, um, but having something local would certainly be beneficial. Um, out of curiosity, do you have that range airspace that's required for like, uh, clearly you are demonstrating that with Exercise Crowbar Warrior today, but is the airspace, the range space adequate for modern air warfare training? Um, we, we managed to, to change it and evolve it over the past five years. So if, you, if you'd asked me a little while ago, I'd have said no. Uh, but now we're, we're just about there. So, so we can generate about a 200-mile by 100-mile uh, bit of airspace that's dedicated to us, the duration of the Cobra Warrior sorties, and that allows us to do uh, the missions as we as we, um, as we plan them and need them. So, so we We've done some good work on that. The team's been very good at, at getting that bit of airspace up for us, and a lot of people have helped us out uh, with that and, and being able to deliver it. Very cool. Um, so, Andy, just before I ask my final question, is there anything I haven't asked you regarding the exercise? Like, I mean, I'm trying to hit all the main points that I can think of, but I don't know if I'm missing something that is fundamental to you or that would help you in, in just kind of sharing about the exercise. I think the, the, the key bit you, you, you obviously hit on, we're, we're in a development phase. So I'm never going to claim the exercise is perfect. We think we deliver a good exercise and we need a bit more investment in some of the operational training infrastructure. But I think that's probably come out in some of the questions about where we are and where we want to be. Okay, cool. Awesome. And so, you know, now we've talked about Exercise Cobra Warrior, um, but as I mentioned at the outset, you know, it was hosted and facilitated by the Air and Space Warfare Center. So what is next? Obviously, there's many tasks that the Air Space Warfare Center has, but what is next? Some of the main things that, that you're kind of tracking for the center. So, so, so we, we've got a whole host of activity and obviously Cobra Warrior is important and, and our next situation with a whole host of uh, different nations who've been involved and we're involved in a, in a whole host of um, sport to operations tasks. So, so wherever UK air and aviation assets are operating around the world, then it's ourselves who are helping them, advising them and going through that think, test, tactics, train routine to be able to give them the best possible support we can. Awesome. Group Captain Andy Burton, the Deputy Commandant for the Air and Space Warfare Center at RAF Waddington, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today on Go Bold. I greatly appreciate this conversation. Um, I find it really interesting what you guys are doing, and I wish you much success for, for the next iteration. And um, I hope perhaps that we can revisit this conversation and see how things are evolving. Hey, Jody, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. That, my friends, was Group Captain Andy Burton of the Royal Air Force. If you have any questions for us at Go Bold, please reach out to us at goboldthepodcast at gmail.com. And I wish everybody a wonderful day. Thanks, everyone. The views and opinions expressed in this presentation are solely those of the participants. This podcast is copyright and all rights are reserved.
No portion may be reproduced or used in any manner without the express written permission of the publisher who can be reached at goboldthepodcast at gmail.com. The music on this podcast is Parasail by Silent Partner.